Stand again. I told you I'd get you standing. We're going to read from Isaiah chapter 60, and the title of the message today is, Our Work is God's Work. How many of you people like to work? How many of you know that God made you to work? Okay, you're going to find that out. Hopefully, you'll feel better about work in a few minutes. Isaiah chapter 60, and you're going to say this is a little strange, but uh, I, think, I think you'll understand in a few minutes. Arise, Jerusalem, let your light shine for all to see, for the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. Read together. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. Look and see, for everyone is coming home. Your sons are coming from the distant lands. Your little daughters will be carried home. Your eyes will shine and your heart will thrill for joy. For merchants from around the world will come to you. They will bring you the wealth of many lands. Vast caravans of camels will converge on you, the camels of Midian and Ephah. You're, you're good to read that too. That's fine. <laughs> the people of Sheba, read this with me. The people of Sheba will bring... How many ladies said they like that? The gold and the frankincense and will come worshiping the Lord. The flocks of who? Keter will be given to you and the rams of Neboeth will be brought for my altars. I will accept their offerings and I will make my temple glorious. So we're going to ex- get some work out of that and explain what's going to happen at the, end of the, uh, at the end of this age. Let's pray and as we're praying we had a in fact, a few of our, uh, our, our people who are on our worship team, uh, we have three uh, board members who had losses in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Cappy Higgins' uh, husband, Jim, we had that funeral yesterday. Sharon Houston lost her mother, and Eric Yike lost his mother. And so just being in prayer for those families that God would uh, continue to comfort them. Father, we thank you for your comfort, for the comfort of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing too difficult. There's nothing that's too dark in our lives for you not to bring light. So we pray for these families that you will comfort them, you will upgird them by your spirit. And now, Lord, as we look into your word, we just ask you to bring revelation knowledge to us. Help us not to be inclined to the thinking of this world, but may we have our ear tuned to what the spirit is saying today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen. And you may be seated. Well, as a kid growing up in kids' church, you know, there's, there's some kids' songs that there's not much theology to, and then there was some children's songs growing up in church that there's maybe more theology to them than some of the songs we sing today. Uh, I'll, I'll pass over that very quickly, but there was one that maybe a few of you know. The words are, if we all pull together, 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 if we all pull together, how happy. Oh, some of you know it. Okay. For your work is my work and our work is God's work. And if we all pull together, how happy we will be. Well, I talked to a couple today that knows this song and knows the cup, knows all the motions. So Pam and Mike Robinson don't know it, but they're going to come up and help lead you in if we all pull together. She's going to teach you, Mike. Come on. How many of you want Mike and Pam to come up here and show you how to do this? You're a star, Mike. Uh-oh, he doesn't know it. He did not grow up in children's He didn't grow up in, you're a pagan, a heathen? What are you? You didn't know this song? I grew up in 
Okay, your wife's going to teach you. Okay. So the words, it's, it's, I'll, we'll show you the motions, right? They're, the motions, you're together, maybe there's two or three people. Oh, I see the family has the video going. <laughs> if we all will pull together. They're going to, the, the worship team's going to sing it. You'll, you'll. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to start it over. We're going to start it over again right here. They're going to sing. They'll sing and you'll do the motions. All right. Give them a hand. Stay right here. It's not over. Now everybody stand again and find at least one other person, maybe two other people, and you're going to get your little happy circles. All right. Come on. Turn and face somebody. Mike Smith, we have the cameras scanning the audience. Everybody online can see this. All right. Let's sing it again. now when you pick up your kids, if they ask you what you did in kids' church today, you can tell them you're saying, if we all will pull together. How happy we will be. Well, the text that we just read sounds like Israel has returned from Babylon, or Israel's returned from Egypt, or Israel has returned from exile in some way, and all these wonderful things are happening. But it's uh, actually, that's not the case. Actually, uh, what is happening is the You'll find later that there's still violence, there's still things going on on the earth, so it's not the end of the age, but he is speaking about the end of the age, so it has not happened yet. He says, uh, violence will disappear from your land, the desolation and destruction of war will end. No longer will you need the sun to shine by night, nor the moon to give its light by night. Your sun will never set, your moon will not go down. So those things haven't happened yet. He's talking about what will happen at the end of the age. So what is happening in Isaiah 60? The nations of the world are bringing their wealth to Jerusalem. Not because they have been conquered as much as they have been attracted to Jesus, to the Redeemer, to the Savior, to the Messiah. They were bringing their wealth as an offering. Why were they bringing it? Because there was no more war in Ukraine. There was no more... North and South Korea, there was no more division. Hunger has been eliminated. There was no need to feed the hungry. Everyone was, was being fed. Injustice has been wiped away. Peace is all around the earth. And how do people respond? By saying to Jesus, by saying to our Father, the work of our hands belongs to you. 
All the gold belongs to you. All the silver belongs to you. All the wealth belongs to you because the paradise of Genesis has finally been restored. What God intended in the first place and we separated from him with our sin has now been restored. The work of their hands is being brought to their God. God, the God who created us to work for his glory. You know, maybe you have a small child. I remember when Anthony was a small child. Where's Anthony? He's back on a camera or he's in the streaming room. And, you know, you, you have a small child, maybe three years old, and they bring you, they get some crayons and they bring you something that they've drawn and you look at it and you're not really sure what it is. <laughs> And then they tell you what it is, and you're like, oh, that's great. Let me put it on the refrigerator. Let me take it to work and put it on my desk or whatever. And it's like, why do you do that? Because they've created something, and they're in your image, and you're filled with joy. That's what brings joy to you, to see them get their own job, move out of the basement, to see them move on in life. And you're just like, wow, they've got their own job. They're working. This is wonderful. That's, that's, that's the, that brings you joy. Well, God has created us to work. He's created us to, when we're doing the right things to be, he's up in heaven clapping and cheering us on. And we're bringing him things, and he says, you brought me a mess, but I'm gonna, it's going to be okay. And I'm glad that you're, you're doing something. I'm glad that you're working. I'm tr- uh, that's what I created you for. Let me give you three thoughts from the text. Working for God's glory is a means of blessing. It's a means of blessing. Historically, you read uh, some of the, the Greek mythology and some of the history of other uh, mythologies uh, over the ages. Uh, work is a curse in those mythologies. To work, that, that's, what the, that's what only the, the poor people have to do. The people, wealthy families, hire workers. People want to get to the top so they don't have to work anymore. But in, in mythology, work is what is wrong with this world. The gods didn't work. Everybody else worked. But that's the wrong thinking. Working is not demeaning. According to this book right here, work is what is right with the world. He created us to work. He created us to make a difference, to be a blessing to others. In Genesis, Adam and Eve were placed here to work and to care for the land. How many of you are glad God works? He never sleeps. He doesn't slumber. Jesus said in John chapter 5, he said, so the Jewish Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, what did he reply? My father is always working and so am I. Aren't you glad he came and worked so you could have your salvation and your redemption and your freedom? He worked as a carpenter, right? For those first years of his adulthood, maybe in his teenage years. He was a builder, maybe making furniture, maybe building homes. We don't know, but all of those things he was doing, and it, was before, it wasn't until he was 30 years old that he started his public ministry. You know, when you work for God's glory, you will be blessed, you will bless others, and God's name will be blessed. When people see you as a Christian working and having the strong work ethic and knowing that you're doing it not for man, but you're working for God, you might say, you're the president of the company, but he's the president of my life, and he's the one that I'm really working for. I think we should probably more often than not, more often than we do, we should thank God for those who labor in the most difficult, glory-deprived, nameless situations. Aren't you glad for people who clean our sewers? 
and work in those plants. Aren't, aren't you glad for the miners, for the road workers on that August day when it feels like 120 out there and you go by and they're repairing the road? Thank God that somebody will do that. Thank God for the trash collector. Thank God for people who things doing things that you think are beneath you. If they're doing it to God's glory, that, that's being they're laying up treasures. They're having God's blessing in their life. See, in our world, we think that true prosperity is this. If I can get other people to serve me. Let me give you what biblical prosperity is. Serving others with your work. Making a blessing, making a way for them to... to uh, be honored by Jesus Christ. Let me talk to the students. The students are with us today. Um, students, let me encourage you to not buy into the lie that work is about making you feel better about yourself. If work is about making you feel better about yourself, the wars that have been fought, the people who have done the worst jobs, we wouldn't have all the benefits we have. We have it because people know that Work is work. It can be difficult, it can be hard, it's taxing on your body, but when you do it to glorify God, it's more than just work. It's more than just doing the menial task. Work often lacks immediate rewards, but it builds the character, and God uses it to shape you into the people that he has called you to be. Paul wrote to the Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, he said, work what? willingly. Say that word with me. So when the boss asks you to do something tomorrow, maybe your boss at home asks you to do something, she asked me to do something, do whatever you do, how? As though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that God will give you what? An inheritance is your reward. Anybody here that would like God's inheritance to be your inheritance? <laughs> How many of you here already have his inheritance? You're children of the Most High. Work willingly. And the master you are serving is who? It's Christ. It's not money. It's not fame. It's not wealth. It's not other people's expectations. It's Christ. Working for God's glory brings blessings into your life. The second thing is this. Working for my glory brings ruin. It leads to ruin. In Isaiah chapter 60, it lists the results of the people who work for their own glory. What happens when we work for our own glory? Violence, wars, destruction, darkness, death, self-worship, disgrace, captivity, hatred, dissatisfaction. That's the result of saying, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to live my way. Parents, and grandparents, let me address you for just a minute. Be very careful about the expectations you put on your children and your children's children. About what you want them to do. About what will make you happy. Instead of letting them discover for themselves what God has called them to. Well, my father and my father's father, they were all this, and so you got to, and that may not be God's design. God may have something totally different. Derek Thompson, a staff writer for The Atlantic, argues that Americans have a new object for worship. He calls it the religion of workies. He writes, 
The decline of traditional faith in America has coincided with an explosion of new atheisms. Some people worship beauty, some worship political identities, others worship their children. But everybody worships something, and workism is the most potent of the new religions for competing for congregants. Thompson defines workism as the need to make work the centerpiece of one's identity and life's purpose. And the belief that any policy to promote human welfare must always encourage more work. No large productive country averages more hours of work a year, talking about our country. And the gap between the United States and other countries is growing. Americans work longer hours, have shorter vacations, get less in unemployment, disability, and retirement benefits, and retire later than people in comparable rich societies. In a recent report of the academic of youth anxiety, 95% of teenagers said having what they would like, having a, a job or a career they enjoy would be extremely or very important to them as an adult. It ranked higher than any other priority. Having a happy job, feeling fulfilled in the job. 81% said that. Getting married, 47% said they'd like to get married. Finding meaning at work beats family and kindness as the top ambition. That's a lie from Satan that it's all about your job and that your identity should be wrapped up in that. Parents, grandparents, culture again, friends and family, here's the truth. Many people, many children, and many grandchildren are pushed into jobs that will bring glory to their parents and to their grandparents. That's what it's about. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. We have, a, we have cultures around the world that are these honor cultures that are, that are broken honor cultures where they take family and they take family and put family actually above God. It's all about honoring your parents with your work. We have an American hierarchy. This is, I'm going to tread on some thin ice here for just a minute of honored professions. Well, my child is in the medical profession. My child is in legal. My financial, business, sports, and the list can go on and kind of beat our chest about that. Very few people are in those professions. Thank God for those professions. We need those professions. But thank God for whatever your child does, if they're doing it to the glory of God, you should be honored and you should be thankful. See, America, our work ethic has the potential to be our worst ethic. But it's all about how much we make, who we can network with. We unwittingly maybe create our own culture of Babel. Genesis chapter 11, verse 4 says, they were building the Tower of Babel, they said, then they said, come, let's build a great city for who? Ourselves, with a tower that reaches into the sky. And then read this with me. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. American Idol, America's Got Talent, all these things. Everybody wants fame. Everybody wants popularity. And when you work for your own glory, let me give you some indicators that you're working for your own glory. One is... Probably the primary one is you'll misuse people. You'll use them for your advantage. You'll be thinking more about you than about blessing them. 
in the workforce that's with you, maybe among your family, maybe among your relationships. Let me give you a few things to remember real quick. First, remember this. Every talent you have came from God. There is nothing that you did or could create on your own. You could have been born in the worst poverty, poverty, impoverished area in this world. You, the fact that you're sitting here today means that you are blessed. That you have huge advantages. Remember, secondly, that every advantage you have came from God. Everyone here has an advantage over 98% of the world. Think about it. Be grateful for it. Use it to propel you to have compassion and to help others and to, to do what God has called you to do instead of hoarding it. Remember, every gift you have came from God. See, working for yourself may feel great today, but one day... Colossians chapter 3, verse 25 says, but if you do what is wrong, what will happen? You'll be paid back for the wrong you have done for what? God has no favorites. Well, God, I preached for you. Did I preach for him or was I preaching for myself? There's no favorites because you have reverend or doctor in front of your name. It doesn't give you any advantage. You'll be paid back for the wrong you've done. Let me ask you this question today. I was going to talk about money, and I thought, you know, this is, I think this is the work issue really gets, the money is a revelation of what we think about our work and our possessions. Who does your money belong to? Again, pull your toes in real quick here, and I'll get through this real quick for you. People who work for themselves never tithe happily. Quiet in here, folks. Am I still on? Is my mic still on? They never tithe happily. See, tithing happily is the gold seal that verifies my work is for God's glory. It belongs to him. It doesn't belong to me. Whether I'm making 20000 a year, 200000 a year, $2 million a year, whatever you're making, if you're tithing and you're giving it and it belongs to God, you do it with joy. You do it knowing that he's providing for you and that he is the one who is the rewarder. You know, many Christians, unfortunately, are joyless workers. Sometimes maybe you feel trapped into the status of your profession. Again, students... Don't just go for something because that's going to give you status. It may give you status, but you might be the most unfulfilled person in that hospital or in that law firm or wherever else. But you're just doing it because of that status. And then you come, you tithe, there's, there's, lack, there's a lack of joy. You feel trapped into it. Perhaps the job that would be the most fulfilling would leave some money on the table. As many people here will tell you, it's the end of the, end of the day. It's not all about the money. It's about fulfillment, serving God, and serving others. Family pressure to perform can be overwhelming, but don't let that be your guide. Don't let that pressure point be the thing that drives you to what you're going to do and how you're going to use your life. You see, friends, your profession gives you no eternal advantage. 
no eternal advantage. But God, you don't know what I did. Or do you know? Or you remember? The first question when you get to heaven is not going to be, well, what, do you, what did you do for a living? The question is going to be, what did you do for Jesus? <laughs> Are you going to hear the well done from that? Oh, but I did this and I did that. Millionaires and minimum wage earners are going to be standing on a level playing field. And what will be judged are your motives and your faithfulness. Whose glory did you work for? Your own or for the glory of God? Now let me make a statement and maybe you want to write this one down or you want to get out your iPhone or whatever you have. Uh, maybe some of you still use pens and pencils. Uh, and write this down. Don't make your desk your altar. Don't make your desk your altar. Your job, don't make it your altar, your, your status, your position. Working for yourself is a glory that will fade away. It'll be gone. We're going to be surprised when we get to heaven and some of the people who are living uptown are going to be the people who we didn't think had much going on in this life, but they lived their life for Jesus Christ. They heard, well done, and they're going to have their reward. Final point, working redemptively will lead me to God's home. In Isaiah, the glory of God is attracting the people of the nations. See, without, without God, without working for him, they were, they were homeless. Remember Cain when he was banished? In Genesis chapter 4, Cain replied to the Lord and he said after he had uh, killed his brother he said my punishment is too great for me to bear you have banished me from the land and from your presence and what you have made me a homeless wanderer anyone who finds me will kill me you do it for yourself when you don't do it redemptively you're you're homeless but when you do it for God you, you know that there is a home there's a heavenly home for you and you're attracted to that working redemptively requires a change of identity you have to say, my, edit, my identity is not my work. Say that with me. My identity is not my work. Say that again. My identity is not my work. But repeat this after me. My identity is who I work for. My identity is who I work for. If you're working for Jesus, that is where your identity comes from. If you're struggling with self-worth today, still nobody cares. Nobody wants to know what I do. Nobody would want my job. Get your identity rooted in Jesus Christ and in God, and you know, you'll know you're on the right path. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God placed the man in, in the Garden of Eden to do what? To tend and watch over it. How many of you know that when we get to eternity, you're not going to be floating on a cloud with a harp with some wings eating whatever your favorite snack food is, Milky Ways or whatever. That, that's not what heaven is about. Eternity is when the Garden of Eden is restored and we're going to work. Some of you are saying, I don't know if I want to, that's what you signed up for. That's what God created us for. The universe and all God's creation will be the eternal kingdom that God designed for us. We'll continue to work the work of God's hands and tend all of creation. Just think, we'll be able to look back and we'll say, uh, 
Elon Musk and SpaceX, you thought you could get up there? Yeah, you ain't seen nothing yet, because we're going to be ruling and reigning the universe and all of God's creation. Jeff Bezos, Blue Origin, yeah, you're, you're gonna, you've got all your money, but that money doesn't even interpret to heaven. You can't take Bitcoin with you. You can't take all those millions and billions of dollars with you. It's only what you've done for Jesus will last. And then Blue Origin and SpaceX are not even a, don't even hold a candle to what God has created for those who love him and serve him and work for him. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18 says, remember the Lord your God. Read this with me. He is the one who gives you power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors. What is success? Let me give you some marks of success today. Success is raising a family. Thank God for moms who raise families and dads who raise families and commitments to raising your children in the fear and the admonition of God. Without even thinking about the Bible, I heard something that said, if you want to be successful in America, this is what you do. You finish high school, you get a job, and you get married, and you have your greatest chance of success. I mean, you know, that's God's way, right? You get an education, you serve the world, and you, and you creatively, you get married, and there's creation, maybe sons and daughters that come from your family. Success is raising a family. Success is providing for your family. Success is blessing others with your work and making it possible for others to work. Theologian Tom Wright writes in his book, Surprised by Hope, he said, you're not oiling the wheels of the machine that's about to roll over a cliff. You're not restoring a great painting that's shortly going to be thrown on a fire. You're not planting roses in a garden that's about to be dug up for a building site. You are, strange as it may seem, almost hard to believe as the resurrection itself, accomplishing something that will become in due course part of God's new world. That's what God has called us to. And so let me just give you a quick kind of tithing talk. 10% of what we have goes to God. You know, some people, a few weeks ago, I was, you guys caught me. I know sometimes I catch you and you're like, did he really say that? And I, you, you guys caught me because I said, you know, your tithe comes before your mortgage. And I heard a lot of like, what are you talking about, pastor? I'm talking about the tithe comes off the top before anything else. And so when you go to the mortgage company and you say, well, I make six figures and so what can I afford? No, you take 10% off of that and say, this is what I make. God will bless you above that, and God will take care of your needs. But yet, God comes first in my life. I love talking to Christians who get audits. I've had a, a, couple, a couple audits way years ago. One of them said that I, could, I qualified for food stamps or whatever it was called back then. And the other one I got, I don't know, $20 back, something like that. So I've, I've never had anything wrong with my audits. But I love talking to Christians who are audited or not audited. They even work in a CPA, and their CPA will tell, ask them, why do you give so much to the church? The world should be looking at us and saying, why are you so generous? Well, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the most generous person that ever walked on this planet. He came and gave his life, and he saved me. So tithing, why would I not tithe? How shrewd would that be? How hardened of my heart that I'm going to say, this money belongs to me. And you know, hear people say, oh, it's Old Testament. People make all kinds of arguments. Jesus was watching the widow with her last what? Her last might came to Trinity with her last five dollars. But she said, I know my God's going to supply. Somehow she had to be thinking that. And with all these wealthy people and these, they call them the trumpets, these 
these huge brass containers. They would put their, they loved to put their coins in and made a loud sound. And they'd go, oh, look, there goes the wealthy person. Jesus said, there goes the widow putting in the last couple of dollars she has. We are talking about her 2,000 years later because Jesus said there is a woman of faith. There is a woman who understands the economy of the kingdom and not the economy of Israel or not the economy of the United States, the economy of the kingdom. So we bring our tithes, we bring our kingdom builders and those of you that are wondering about the flooring in the lobby, if you'll give more money, we'll put more flooring. No, <laughs> it's, it's been manufactured and it's been shipped and hopefully in a couple of weeks that'll all be laid down for you and you won't ruin your shoes on, in the church. But um, um, we do that because we love Jesus, because he came and gave his life for me. You know, one day, Isaiah chapter 60 and John's revelation Take the book of Revelation and you, you put those two things together and this is, this is what it's about. We'll be worshiping him. We'll be working for him and with him. You know, Jesus didn't get his identity from his work as a carpenter. His identity was rooted in being our redeemer, our redeemer, our savior and Lord. His work wasn't just about making some tables or building some homes, although that was part of God's plan for him. Ultimately, he was going to the cross there was going to be a crown of thorns on his head. There were going to be lacerations on his back. He would be nailed to the cross. And I'm so thankful that Jesus did not live his life for himself, but he gave his life. He worked so we can be blessed. We're going to receive communion. Let's stand together. If you would like communion, we will have servers here up front. I invite you to come to the front or to the back and receive communion. If you don't have a personal relationship with God, you don't understand what I'm talking about today. You don't understand how people can have menial tasks and go and be the most joyous person on the job. People can face difficult things and still have the joy of the Lord. They can get the pink slip and say, I, I, this, is, this is just a change of direction. God is something else for me because you know that God provides for you. The one whose eye is on the sparrow, he cares for you. The one who knows how many hairs are or aren't on your head or whose hairs are on your head, he, he cares for you. He loves you, and he gave his life for you. If you want a relationship with him, it's about making a commitment and saying, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God, that you went to the cross and died for my sins. You rose on that third day and as a sinner, as a person who is imperfect, I give my life to you. I, I admit my imperfection. I believe you're the Son of God. And today, I follow you. I invite you to make that your prayer before we receive communion. And for every one of us, believers, short-term, long-term believers, Scripture reminds us that before we receive the, the bread and the cup, we need to respond to a Holy Spirit assessment in our own life. We need to repent of attitudes. We need to repent of maybe like that pastor who said he just, God spoke to him about an attitude of superiority. Say, God, what is it in my life? Because sometimes we have spiritual calluses over places that other people see and we don't see them in our own self, but the Holy Spirit will reveal those to you. Let's pray. Father, we once again rededicate our lives to you. We thank you that your forgiveness 
wasn't just one time, but your forgiveness is every day in our life. You're sanctifying and cleansing us and making us into the image of your Son. One day we will be like him. We will no longer sin, and we will work in ways that, in, in, in ways that honor you in ways that don't bring all of the, huma- the sin of humanity upon us. And we're so thankful for that. And we admit our, our continual need of you. No one in this room has arrived. Father, for those among us online or here in the sanctuary who are saying, Jesus, I admit I need you. I'm an imperfect person. I believe you're the Son of God. I want to live according to your word and do things your way. Today I make that choice. Lord, may they sense right now the smile of heaven upon them. Lord, we hold these elements in our hands and we are so thankful that you sent Jesus at just the right moment, the right time to do your work, the work of the Father. You're working, he's working, he's still working in our lives. Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus. Let's eat of the bread together. After supper, Jesus took the cup and he reminded them about the old covenant that they would celebrate on Passover. It would be the bleeding of lambs. The temple would be filled with sacrifices being made. He reminded, let his disciples know they didn't fully understand it, that he would be the once for all sacrifice. No longer animals would be heard. We don't come and have to bring any sacrifice for our sins. He paid the price on the cross. And so the cup reminds us that it was his blood spilt for us that redeems us, redeems our work, redeems our relationships, redeems us for eternity. Father, thank you for the cup. (laughs) We are so unworthy today, but your son has made us worthy because we are called by his name. Forgive us our sins. Forgive our trespasses. Father, sometimes what seems greater difficulty in our life, help us to forgive those who have trespassed against us. May people around us see that in our lives. Let's drink together Thanksgiving. Now let's worship God in song and, and we'll come back with the offering and closing prayer.